but here, on the very rim of known space, justice is a long way away. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie Podcast. I, as always, am your co-host, Brian. And joining me, as always, is your co-host, Spaz. <clears throat> Hello. Your co-host, Julie. Hello from the great sunny north. Your co-host, Thorsten. Hello, and I've got a lot to say today. Oh, good. <laughs> your your co-host, Jacob. Hello, hello. And your co-host, David. Pro tip, when mowing the lawn, if you're allergic to pollen, use a face mask. I've oh, learned it hard away. Oh, no. Good idea. Uh, uh, apologies on my behalf. Personally, I'm very low energy today, so I'm... I'm I might be sounding a little sluggish. I apologize for that. But we have a topic today, my friends. Uh, today we are going to talk about localization. And uh, Spaz, this was your idea uh, for a topic. So I'm going to ask you my first question. How would you define what is exactly localization? Well, for the purposes of our discussion, translation and localization are two different things. They are related, absolutely. But localization is much more involved than translation. Translation is just taking a sentence or two or a paragraph and working with that. Localization is taking a concept and then translating that for an audience that doesn't speak the original language it's written in or, or spoken in. Uh, so it's not just about translating text, it's about bringing in context as well. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and context absolutely matters because if you're making a cultural reference in your own language, in your game, for example, that someone else would not have experienced because it's a, an American thing. You need to, you need to take that and localize that, for other languages so that the cultural references stay close to the same meaning. They don't necessarily have to have the same dialogue written or spoken, but they do need to match the tone and the meter in which it's spoken. And that's the problem. There's good localization and really bad localization, and we're going to get to both of those. Right. So I I guess let's let's start with an example then. Like when you think of a game with good localization that's done it right. Um and this could be for anyone. Um what what do you do you have an example in mind uh, that someone can th- can that someone can look to as an example of localization done well? Man, I begin uh now because uh sure. I've got an example for Oh, sure. Yeah, of course. We're we're not doing a roundtable. We're just chatting. So, yeah, go ahead. For a really good, in my opinion, it was the first real good uh, localization I've I've ever encountered. And that's uh, the original Jack the Lions. All the the lines were professionally translated and uh, Brought into brought into context exactly what what what's best said, and uh, that was 
probably the, the first, really the first, the first one I've I've encountered at least that was really got translated in 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 every regard. Huh. Even with all the different characters and everything, it was really still. It was really still because that, that those those games have tons of very different characters. Different characters. Uh, ex- exactly. That's uh, that's that's the point in, in in this whole in this whole thing. Uh, I f- I think uh, it was it was really the first time uh, the really the first time that that I've encountered at least. Uh, a translation and 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 at localization that that was uh, really uh, in touch with the original. While uh, previously and afterwards a lot, uh, I've encountered uh, lackluster ones, <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> and, and I'm sure that that good localization for Jagged Alliance made you even more endeared. Toward the game because you know it shows that the folks behind it really gave a a, a hooey. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course, yeah. That's a good example, Jagged Alliance. Wow. Anybody else have yeah. some good ones in front of mind? Uh, for localization, do we have to stick the games? We don't necessarily have to stick no. the games. Not for no. this I'll save those for later. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'm thinking because I admittedly have not uh, played a non-English game in a in a long while because uh, I have plenty of examples of bad localization and or, and mediocre localization. <laughs> Fair, <laughs> though. Mm, okay, someone else take it. Sorry, I have a game. I have an example of localization that made me break down in tears, and this is a real-world example. And this goes back to the mid-80s. This goes back to the, the only 15 years in America's history when we were at not at war with anybody. And, uh, yeah. In America, there's only been 15 years when we haven't been at war with somebody. and uh, Not actively at war. Part of it. Yeah. Part of it in the part of that 15 years was in the mid 80s. And um, Uncle Sam said, look, we're sending you to Korea. And when my tour was over and I said, no, we still need you here. You're going to stay. And back then, um, the mindset in Korea was that, you know, it's like with the older, older, older members of their society was we don't need you here uh we don't want you here and at the time there was a hundred thousand people that marched through the streets of Tegu that said uh we want you to go home and i got to the point where i you know i was afraid to leave post and they would say if you leave post don't wear anything that makes you identifies you as an american tell everybody you're canadian and i said here i am even though i'm in headquarters i am literally working every day an hour and a half by tank from the dmz as my first sergeant said and there was even an air raid which i won't get into but i felt like nobody wanted me there and i really felt like the ugly american despite that you know 
some of my friends there were Korean nationals. And so eventually Uncle Sam lets me go home because he has to. My tour duty in the military is up. And uh, when I felt when I came home, I felt really bad. I felt, you know, it's like I thought nobody there wanted me there. And I said, I reached the point where I had to try and get over the anger uh, of being the, the angry American. And then flash forward 30 years, I am at a convention, as a steampunk convention called TeslaCon. And I'm sitting there talking to some friends and some other acquaintances I don't see, but at Tesla can walk up and introduce me to this young man. Who's like, he's like in his late teens, early twenties. And we start talking and chatting. It turns out his parents were from Korea and uh, he thanked me for everything I did for his parents. And I just sat there and cried and I said, wow, I can't tell you what that means, you know. And so that is my experience at being the American and having to understand the attitude that somebody has toward Americans. It isn't necessarily bad. It's more about pride in their own country. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Fair. And... One of the things that comes up with localization is this concept of, well, there's no reference, right? You, so you have to create a reference. And sometimes that ends up being a meme. And an example of this, a, a, a TV example of this, is uh, <clears throat> the Darmok episode of TNG. The children of Tamar speak in what is effectively memes. But here's the thing that relates to localization. The the part that relates to localization is that you can translate the dialogue and you can understand that there are words there. But if you don't understand the context, you don't have localization. So anything that ends up being like a meme, a trope. You could name the trope. You could name the meme. If someone knows the context, they understand it in that shorthand. If you, if they don't understand that context, the words are empty. Yes. This does often run into a big problem of using idioms or verbal shorthands or some kind of re or references. I've seen... Um, I have seen books... Uh, I've actually read the books compared to each other, and one of and here's the thing: uh, a lot of uh, a lot of times, what happens is things end up work is things end up working out good enough, but it still feels off unless you put in a lot of effort into um uh, into the actual localization. Yeah, it takes work. <laughs> it yes. takes a lot of work. Uh, I'm mostly saying that because that's what I'm trying to get into as a job. And I'm currently researching that for university, which is uh, fun. Is it really? Yes. I worked on localization for one game, and I don't think I'd want to do that again. Yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff. 
So, so since you're, since you're taking it like at a college level, like besides just translating text, what else goes into, is there a lot of research that you need to do? Uh, yeah, there is a lot of research and there's a lot of understanding, honestly, both the languages you're working off of. Because a lot of the times um, you can know you can know a la- you can know the other language well, but your own language struggles to have an equivalent that isn't either obscure or just difficult to come up with. Uh, it's hard to bring up examples because I can't use not English here. Uh, but how do I say this? Yeah. Yes, and that's, and, then, and it also gets even worse when, for example, you have a you have a uh, setting or you have a book that's uh, making up its own stuff, that is making up like its own, not necessarily language, but like terms and terminology, and you have to figure out how to localize those without it sounding dumb. <laughs> uh, now I have to now I have to apologize uh, here, here to Julie because uh, because I'm going to have to br- bring up the annoying British woman's books. But the Annoying British Woman's books, the Harry Potter series, was actually my first encounter with localization because at the end of each book, there was a whole lovely section by the translator detailing their entire work process, uh, uh, sorting out the translations and saying why they called certain things as such. Oh, that's neat. Which actually helped a lot with understanding how things were. It is... Like there's a lot of interesting stuff there, a lot of interesting visual and uh, linguistic quirks that not visual linguistic quirks that actually made the um, the whole book more interesting. Well, uh, quite famous, uh, uh, quite famously, uh, the book was localized to Polish. Well, in my case, and where you have the Wizarding World and the real world, uh, the various locations around the wizard, Wizarding World, like Diagon Alley and so forth, were actually localized. They were sort of wrangled into Polish, better or worse. However, for example, um, real li- well, quote, quote, real locations, ones in uh, proper England, were kept English, just written out as a uh, as English um, formal names. So there's a lot of ways you can you, you can uh, you can actually play with language given that given that opportunity, but you have to know how to do it. You have to you have to have a good idea, and like in some ways, a good localization can make a uh, uh, can make a um, good book great it won't make a mediocre uh, book good but it'll help hmm. it can at least make it readable <laughs> yes that's that's really that's really awesome that the 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 person who localized the book went into their process yeah, yeah, that's, it that's wasn't true. like authors notes at the very end honestly more entertaining than the books themselves <laughs> fair. <laughs> totally fair yeah. yeah especially in hindsight yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so on the flip side of the coin then, what what is a what is a localization that you guys can think of that you're disappointed with? One that you that you didn't feel did a good a game that you or, or it doesn't have to be a game. We can start with games, I guess. But what what's a game maybe you ran into that the localization was done poorly? Like I can think of several Space games, Spaz, you brought this up before we started. I can think of several Eastern European space games from um, oh, oh boy, from, from, from the mid 2000s oh. that when p- 
ported over to English weren't exactly they were a bit head scratchy in 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 their translation. It didn't help that they got voice actors to bring along with them that were just like like phoning it in. That didn't help either. Small interjection. That is what I feel like ruins the vast majority of localizations. Uh, like the overwhelming majority. There's, there's the voice it's acting? bad voice acting. Yes. Yeah, I, honest, yeah, like, yeah. Bad localization. I like struggle to name examples of games with bad voice acting with bad po- like Polish does. Yeah. For example. Hundreds, <laughs> thousands. I like. Yes. I can name like three that don't have don't have the bad bad VA work. Like that's the it's the God of War series, The Witcher, because it because obviously, and I think that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's the the only ones I've experienced. The other ones are mediocre at best. So so wait, do you run into a lot of games that they'll get Polish voice actors and and the voice acting? In Polish is not very good. Is that is that what I? It's I'm... mediocre. Yes, it's. I'm not even getting into like provably worse than the original because it usually is. Like it overwhelmingly most of the time, it's just provably worse than the original. But a lot of the times, it's just completely awful because the voice actors are clearly massively overworked, don't know what a video game is, and are doing it in the middle of like the three different soap operas that were on. Because by the way, yes, we're suffering from the Japan problem where we have like six or seven voice actors in total in the entire country. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 German, it's a, it's a similar problem, but it's, it's, it's gotten much better over the past 20 years. Oh yes. It's absolutely it gotten better since the, this is the, the, the year 2000. Same here. People, yeah. first of all, people realize that video games are a thing. CD project red are a, you know, big name. Yeah. Um, uh, and the actual dub, for example, in The Witcher, The Witcher 3 especially, gorgeous. Witcher 1, yeah, but it also, was also a low-budget game made by what was, at the time, some weirdo, some weirdos in Warzone no one heard of. Uh, <laughs> 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 but yeah, Witcher 2 and 3 are glorious, uh, are gorgeous examples of um, the actual show. So I, I guess no, we I, can... Oh, good, good. Yeah, carry on, carry on. I was going to say, I guess we can loop in voice acting as part of localization as a whole, I guess, because certainly because well, when the you game that's on stream right now in the background right. is Yakuza like a dragon, which is, uh, that's so the, the localization for that is interesting. Sega's localization team, not only, uh, localized the entire script for, for both a uh, voice and, and non-voiced line, which is amazing because it's got to be a huge script, got to be yes, massive. But, but also the fact, but also the fact that they used facial capture for the English dub actors, so that all of the lip flaps would match the original actors doing those voices. That is so impressive. When using when you're using yeah the English dialogue, the English spoken dialogue, that mocap actually. Uh, matches their lip movements. If you're using the Japanese, it matches that. Damn! And stuff. They use that. They use that for the Judgment games as well. Um, the same localization team uh, worked on uh, all three. And 
so whenever whenever Sega's localization team uh, is working on one of these properties, you know it's going to be good. And there yeah. are even people who have said the Yakuza Like a Dragon uh, English dub is better than the Japanese. Uh, really? Are we gonna get and, to a, like get to like a moment of like Jap of like Japanese people arguing whether to watch it with, watch it in Japanese or English, like we argue about Cowboy Bebop? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Cowboy Bebop's a good example where the the original Japanese uh, dub is not as good as the English dub. Really, they didn't. Wow. They, they didn't get Steve Bloom, the man himself, as the protagonist. But uh, you know, well, there there is that. <laughs> Oh, it also wow. doesn't help, well, does help that the uh, Cowboy Bebop is a horribly American story, at least aesthetically. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Which is something I would actually like to get into. The one thing with uh, localizing is a lot of the times you have to replicate cultural concepts that just don't exist. For example, uh, quite, quite often, like the thing about English is a lot of people speak English, so a lot of different accents of English showed up from like, you know, Japanese to Russian to you know, Portuguese or whatever. Most languages don't like have large enough speaking groups to know what an accent like that would sound like. So you kind of run into these weird things. For example, I remember um, it was quite prominent with the game Overwatch because it uh, primarily differentiates its characters via national stereotypes. Uh, oh, kind of what floundered. Uh, I'm 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 exaggerating for comedy for comedic effect, but not that much. Uh, it kind oh. of floundered with the Polish dub, and I remember like watching the trailers and being disappointed because you know he had all these fancy characters with fancy accents and weird words, and they just all sort of spoke the same. <laughs> but there are technically ways around that; you just have to be very clever about them. Uh, this is a weird example. It's not technically localization; it's essentially representing a real character. There is this there's this delightful dark comedy film called Death of Stalin, which is about the death of Stalin. Uh, it oh, was I, heard that, in I heard that was really good. Wasn't that on Netflix? Wasn't that a Netflix joint? I think I don't remember, but uh, it was filmed in Britain by British crew, so they decided not to have everyone put on very fake, very fake Russian accents because that would make it very exhausting for both the authors and presumably the listeners. <laughs> did they do the did, did, they, did they do the hunt for Red October thing where they kind of started in Russian and then just flipped? No, they didn't. They didn't, they didn't even, even try. They didn't even bother that. <laughs> they just like, and that's the funny thing because one of the characters, because one of, because one of the characters, uh, like, uh, in that show, in, in the film, is of course a man, Grigory Zhukov, the, at the time marshal of the Soviet Union, yada yada yada, and quite notoriously, the man, the man was quite notorious as a person for sounding unprofessional and farmer-like. He was from, uh, he was from like like the Southern Union from from a farm. And generally, every time he spoke, people res- people respected him for his accomplishments, not for the way he spoke. So they gave him the most like northern Yorkshire accent they co- possibly could. <laughs> By the way, actor for Zhukov, brilliant. <laughs> oh, it is the movie I was thinking of. Armando Iannucci did it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes, I've, I've been wanting uh, to see with, this one. I've been wanting with, uh, to see Jason this Isaacs one. as uh, as Zhukov, absolute legend. Uh, does not look like does not look like Zhukov at all, but uh, in terms of performance, impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> that actually so, yeah. reminds me of a, a different uh, localization uh, a thing that comes up with primarily with anime because uh, because when it's coming over from Japan, especially uh, there is this tendency, and I have to explain why the tendency exists. 
for characters from Osaka or that region of Japan to have a if they're Engl- if they're in English the dub will have a southern US accent ah, a southern yeah. drawl and ah. there's a reason for this because the kansai accent is a form of Japanese that is spoken around Osaka and that is considered a laid back type of Japanese dialect so it's, it's very it's, informal it's very English- uh drawly yeah, and it has it has a lot of slang that is uh, not used in more formal Japanese as you would speak around Tokyo. So when it's localized to English, the closest equivalent that can localize it to make the person sound different, to make them sound like they are... Like um, evoke the same feelings and ideas about the Exactly, country. is a Southern U.S. accent. So a Southern drawl gets used a lot. For specifically for characters from Osaka, the Kansai accent. That reminds me of a German Western parody uh, where they used um, Bavarian dialects for uh, Irish, <laughs> Bavarian dialects for 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 uh, for southern states uh, Americans. I <laughs> even mean, learned yeah, that in school. Yeah. I even see. learned that I mean, in school when I was in. Wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest here. Uh, Bavarians like guns, mildly to moderately inbred. Uh, <laughs> Don't very talk. informal dialogue. Did you to talk? Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> no. What you're, what you're, what you're, I mean, to. Yeah. Nope. yeah. No, no argument here. I, I, I grew up in Munich. I, I learned, I learned Irish growing up. So yes. yeah, it's absolutely true. <laughs> It's also the reason why the U.S. has different stereotypes uh, about Germans from everyone else on the planet, because the U- because the U.S. Uh, soldiers in the U.S. occupation zone was in Bavaria, so they all so, so they all see Germans as like lederhosen wearing drunkards yeah. who are single, lot, while everyone else in Europe sees them as the most as the most stuck up and insufferable human beings on the, on the planet. Having lived there. Who shout a shout a lot always show up on time, and if you uh and if you like miss it up, uh, if you like misplace their couch by by six millimeters, they will they will like throw you out the window. <laughs> I can't believe Ron which leads into another problem with localization: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> cultural misunderstandings. <laughs> yep, hundred <laughs> percent true. I'm learning a lot today. That segue I, was on purpose. I'm learning a lot today. I, I didn't know. I didn't know that whole thing about was it Bavaria? I didn't know. The, I didn't know any of that. Bavaria, yeah. I didn't know yeah, any yeah. of that. <laughs> I lived there for almost eight years, and it's it's absolutely true. In Bavaria, it is absolutely true. Yeah, Munich is in Bavaria. I lived there in uh, Munich for seven years, and then half a year in Nuremberg. Oh, that, that so, those are yeah, in I, those are in Bavaria, which is a part of Germany. Yes, it's it's southeastern uh, Germany. Okay, and. So, so it's it's regional equivalent if you translate and localize from German to English, uh, the the dialect would be close to a southern drawl compared to northern German, Norddeutsch. Uh, com- if you take Bayerisch and compare it to Norddeutsch, you would see a huge difference in tone and, uh, well, yeah, a lot more shouting. 
<laughs> in Bavaria. <laughs> in Bayerisch. It's even it's even worse. It's even worse, Bass. Uh, both both dialects are uh, not really uh, interchangeable and 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 uh, intercommunicable. Uh, if yeah. one if one if one uses a North North German dialect and talks to to a Bavarian or uh, some someone else from the south, uh, the south they wouldn't one, be able to understand, understand each other. You, you wouldn't yeah. understand anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. And and it gets it gets worse if you're adding in other languages into that mix because then you're having to localize all of that along with the regional dialect. Yep. Which that's, that's something that's always good Poland struggles with. Pro Poland doesn't really have that many dialects or sub accents or things like that because uh well, for a variety of reasons, chiefly the language is already such a mess. It's really hard. It's really hard to not understand each other once you already learn it, and once you've already learned it, you don't want to mess around with it too much. Which does lead to again the same problem I mentioned earlier that it can struggle with like representing people who are culturally different. Mm -hmm. hmm. There is also okay, like we are bouncing off all around topics here, but there's a that's, lot. Of, like, there's fine. a lot I have to mention. That's fine. You you know a lot more about uh, this than I do, so please feel free. <laughs> yes, because another thing that I want to mention, somewhat related, is how quite often localization can fail. Because how do I put this? Because the biases of the writers and the uh, and the general ideas can uh, can influence the characters and make them look a lot different. Now I'm going to bring bring up a book that uh, some of you may have heard of. It's called the it's called the Bible. <laughs> you know that one. Oh, that old specifically, chestnut. That old chestnut. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the Bible. The, the King James, yeah. specifically the King James Bible. That fantastic because, work uh, of fiction. Uh, <laughs> right. Snarky comments aside. Yes. Sorry, sorry, the Bible sorry. is Moving quite fam is quite Moving notorious on. for having lots of very flowery and very fancy language and being all uh, verily and uh, thingy blah blah and. Um, the oh. original Hebrew and Greek documents really aren't like that. There are a lot of characters that sound outright daft or even like compared, they will be compared to like caveman speak uh, in, um, in, modern, in uh, sort of modern terms. Or like, not necessarily in modern terms, but like in, um, like if, that, if you were to bring about a comparison. However, the King James and uh, the various other scholars of the time, not wanting to uh, d diminish the value of the of God's creation, made everyone speak as fancy and as sophisticated as humanly pos uh, possible. So they, so the fellow that went ooga booga, give me food, when something along the lines of oh, verily, my my brother gi give giveth me thine plate of porridge, for I am famished. Famished. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Good. Yes, go on. No, I was gonna say I I've I remember there being a lot of controversy about the the King James Bible as, <laughs> as taking lots of license with the original text. It's it's a whole thing, dare I say. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, what I have had to deal with in Julie, we can Julie, we can barely hear you. How about this? There you go. Better. There we go. Okay. Uh, what I've had to deal with in writing a book here, well, actually several, but the one I'm 
finishing up now is my teacher is from the United Arab Emirates. And uh, I don't know if she still is, but for a while was an international bestseller on Amazon. And so when I write this book, I write it from the standpoint, obviously, of an American. And she is not only concerned with, like, understanding between generations born after the year 2000 as opposed to me that was born back when dinosaurs roamed the earth um and there was no such thing as an internet but you know she, she is really concerned about a lot of the things i for example one of my favorite artists as far as musicians is duke ellington and count basie uh and we discussed one of uh one of spaz's buddhist jokes i'm buddhist uh and christian and and she was afraid you know international audiences would have no idea who duke ellington was and wouldn't understand the point to the chapter and so i wrote it in to the book where the the protagonist sidekick grabs him by the collar and says don't ever use the words who is and duke ellington in my presence again and so i've had to deal with the same kind of things that jacob said earlier where she says you're really going to need to put a glossary at the end of your book and not just for international audiences but for generational you know they'd she'd say you know somebody born after the year 2000 might not know who johnny cash is you know or Uh. or expressions that i will use because uh they were common for example um talking about cultural misunderstandings i knew somebody back in this was back in the 70s and that there was this expression called that's not my bag right and it was kind of a carryover from the late 60s and so um this person in one of my german classes started walking around germany telling people das ist nicht meine tuta and i said well okay and and the german teacher said well that's kind of like the equivalent of that's not my paper bag and nobody knew what the hell he was talking about and so um i f- i find that the localization for me is not just you know making not trying to ju- i have to do three things because it's like i made up this language for the book and i'm using things that like musical artists that other people might not have even heard of it's a generational thing so you know as i go along the glossary expands itself trying to localize my book to other generations and other cultures well that uh, that makes me wonder about it that makes me think of a question when when you have a made up language like stuff in Tolkien, for example, when you when you're doing localization to another you know language, do you leave that stuff alone, or do you try do you try and translate that as well? That uh, I have opinions of about that, <laughs> but go you, ahead. You, you you have opinions. I have actually read Tolkien in Polish, so for what so the actual oh. localization on Tolkien decided you're keeping the languages as is. With potentially what? footnotes on what the words mean for like, like when you're okay. and footnotes would be the way to go with that, yeah. For like because again, this is a conlang. The original, the original uh, readers in English also wouldn't know what it means. So not translating it doesn't change anything because it's it's a conlang. You made it up. 
Like, yeah. The made-up made This is written language. in Elvish. This is written in Elvish. We don't have to translate it because you can put it in a footnote. Correct. Though quite famously, uh, uh, though quite famously, Lord of the Rings is quite the endeavor when it comes to localization because it contains, you know, several poems, multi- multiple, multiple, um, uh, multiple uh, songs. Like, songs yes mm-hmm. uh a ton of a ton of fancy language because it was written by a literature by a literature major and a nerd uh, <laughs> like <laughs> localizing lord of the rings is like as much effort as writing it in some aspects <laughs> you're you're basically re- you're basically redoing a book with the same story and and the story beats as, as lord of the rings tolkien is a very good example because uh, at least in, in in the German translation I've read, uh, it was uh, it was excellently translated, uh, exactly the same as as as, as uh, Jacob uh, said right now, and it uh, they left most of the uh, Sidorian uh, language intact. Another example I I, I want to uh, bring up is is Frank Herbert's Dune, where they kept. Most of the Arabic, originally Arabic uh, uh, terms uh, from the book in uh, in the same in the same in the same language. So it's 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 not uh, the Trump translation uses the same terms as 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 uh, the original, and uh, that makes it much much easier to communicate with these people from other from other nations in in that regard. And I wished uh, every every translator would do that. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's 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 a style thing. It's a style thing for sure because it depends on the original work that's being translated and then localized, and and also how well those references, if there are any, are going to play in that other language. Yeah, exactly. We talked about this on the. We talked about this on the, uh, the when on the show that inspired this topic, uh, working designs. How they uh, would take a a localization, and in some cases, they'd have to rewrite parts of the script in order to make it fit within the the confines of the dialogue boxes. But they managed it and everything that working designs put out ended up being really good in terms of localized into English. Uh, another good example is Racketeer, which uh, came out in 2010 by, uh, it was an earlier made game, but then was localized in 2010 by Carpe Fulger. And because of its localization being as good as it was, it spawned many, many memes. Wait, which game is this? Racketeer. I'll uh, I'll link it. I, I got know. it. I don't know if I know that. Oh, you got it, David? Racketeer and Item Shop's Tale. Yes, there it is. Oh, is that how you say that word? <laughs> yeah. So even that is itself a uh, <clears throat> fun story about that. The name character, the main character, is a, a girl named Reset who is joined by a fairy named Tyr. However, the title is pronounced Racketeer, as in Racketeer, considering you are running a shop 
and doing what you can to make as much money as you can. The whole title is itself a pun. Which is, uh, best of luck. Yeah, it, but I, it works. I own this game and I've never played it. <laughs> it's a really fun game. And, and it is the, yeah, it is the game that spawned the meme Capitalism Ho. I don't know if I know that. Meme. Oh, that one. Yes, yeah. that's the one. That's the one. Yeah, the the English localization is so good in this game. I need to go back to that game. Got great reviews. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Overwhelmingly positive. Yeah, I never played that one. But um Okay, quick story. Julie's uh Julie's comment from earlier brought up uh a story from my childhood I want to bring up here because Torsten is going to find it hilarious. So there was a family we, we knew uh, when we were living in Munich and they went out to a German restaurant for, um, for dinner. And uh, the wife didn't really speak that much German. She, tr- she learned a little bit, but not quite enough. So she was asking for... Uh, what we would call in English, a doggy bag. And and so, yeah, the concept of a doggy bag, you, you know, you for those who don't know, it's it's a a bag of bones and scraps left over for uh, to give to a dog. Um. Except what she asked for, she thought tote, as in tote bag. She thought that was the word to, to use. So she asked for a hunt. A body bag. No, a huh? dead dog. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going. I did not see uh, that one coming. I did not see that coming either. I, I knew, was. I knew where, where, where it was going. Oh, I did God. not know where that oh, was. Yes. <laughs> you know. Closer, uh, closer uh, equivalent might be Hund Tasha, uh, as in dog bag. But <laughs> yeah, she asked for a Hund Tot. <laughs> dead. You know, dog dead. Literally. So, so, I've, so, I've got to, so I've got to say, that's, that's so easy, so, so easy to confuse. And yeah. I'm, I mean, uh, mostly, mostly, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jose, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it's it's so easy to confuse in 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 in, in such regard, and uh, it's an easy mistake most, to make. I, mostly, I think it's just funny. Yeah, you know, one gladly, the- gladly, mostly uh, moment, uh, gladly mostly today. Most most Germans uh, who have at least a, a grasp of English can understand can can understand uh, what what what's going on there and, and will politely ask what's what's going on <laughs> yeah this was in the mid 80s though so yeah. it's a so little this, more understandable this time it was different <laughs> yes <laughs> i guess i guess it was a bit um embarrassing yeah yeah they they had no idea what she was asking for <laughs> Wow. You know, one of the cultural differences things that I wanted to mention is trying to resolve the two. Sometimes they can't be resolved. And here's an example. There's a small part of my book. If you've ever heard of the 
book, the movie, Heaven Can Wait, uh, there's a small part that's like that. And but also uh Satan is involved as well as Angel. And so I try and resolve the differences between what would angels and Satan be like between my read beta readers who are Christian and American and my beta readers who are Muslim and in from the United Arab Emirates. And the two are just diametrically opposed between, you know, heaven, hell, angels, and uh, jinn. And so it ends up being trying to create something that, excuse me, that's halfway down the middle. And so Satan becomes a corporate executive that looks a lot like George Burns and dresses in a pinstripe suit and goes by the fact that he's a corporate chairman. Because I, it was impossible for me to fix it so that both cultures would feel comfortable. So I've had to create a middle ground. Which was, in my opinion, a good a, a good way to do it, actually. You know, and I still to this day, you know, I've get my Christian beta readers will say, "Well, you know, angels wouldn't do this," and I said, "This is why I've made it different, and this is why one of the characters that starts out angel end up becoming human to get rid of that problem, and in trying to write this book, and so." Um, You know, I originally was just going to write it for American audiences, but my teacher had, who's been one of the international bestsellers in uh, Amazon, you know, and who's also my publicist and uh, works with my, my editor has, you know, other things in mind. So I said, okay, well, let's change it so everybody can relate. Interesting. Hmm. Well, yeah. If you're going to, if you're going to uh, localize something that way, then using a a corporate structure as uh, as an analog works fairly well because it it works well in sci-fi as well as in more modern settings. Well, the way I looked at it, I said, well, no matter what culture we're dealing with, everybody's going to understand greedy corporations. Exactly. That's true. But, you know, there's one thing I want to, and since of all pe people who are here, I think I'm probably the oldest. And so I wanted to bring up an example from when it was like, you know, that new game, World of Warcraft. Uh, <laughs> and this, and keep in mind, you know, I had as I said, lived in Korea for a year and a half. And so I kind of had an affinity for that culture. And so I don't remember for the life of me. I, if someone put a gun to my head, I couldn't remember the name of the game, but it was a Korean game and uh, it was translated into English, obviously, so I could play it, but it wasn't a real popular thing. And it was like a naval warfare thing, only, only PVE. And uh, there were these different ports, right? And so I would ask other people I was gaming with, I'd say, well, where's the auction house? And they'd say, well, what in the world is an auction house? And the what was natural to them at the time was going from port to port to port and going to these little 
stalls where there were both player and NPC characters selling things. And so if you wanted like a new gun for your boat, you'd have to travel all the way around the world trying to find somebody who happened to be selling the kind of gun for your boat that you wanted. And it was kind of a pain in the behind, but it's like, well, this is how we do it. So I said, okay, well, I'll learn to live with it. Hmm. I feel like you I were going to ask a question earlier, Brian. Was I? I don't remember now. <laughs> um, okay. There's something I want to bring up before it gets lost. Go ahead. And that's that our uh, certain terms, uh, especially te technical terms, and then especially uh, military terms translators please if you listen to this leave those terms if it's english leave those terms please in english and don't try to translate them because sometimes those translations can be hilarious hilariously wrong and I can't, I can't even express it. Uh, companies that, that, that did excellent uh, uh, translations of, of military terms or, or, or left, it, left them in, in place in, in, in English as they were, was, were, were microbros in the 80s. Uh, they set the, the standard for all of this. And most of the mm. professional... Uh, Professional uh, uh, simulation uh, developers did the same. However, some don't, and uh, you get you get uh, very weird translations sometimes. And uh, uh, like uh, the Sparrow missile uh, gets uh, is, is suddenly a completely different bird. You don't even have a clue what uh, what the uh, uh, what 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 weapon is meant. Same for the Sidewinder missile, for example, or the Maverick. Uh, I had I, I can remember an example where uh, where the Maverick missile was uh, translated. I translated back now into a Wild Rider uh, missile. Hmm. What? <laughs> yes, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know uh, uh, what 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 was meant until I played the game and I, I understood it. <laughs> it's one thing if they're using a a facsimile, um, not not named. You know, like calling uh, uh, an AK forty seven a um, you know a PK forty seven or something like that, where they change it so that they're not possibly infringing on copyright but if you're going to use a branded name yes then you might as well keep it as is for the sake of consistency with anyone outside of the country who knows what that is i mean that works that, that works pretty good for 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 many games to uh, to be honest I'm, I, if you if you look at it mm -hmm. uh, especially the example especially the example uh, you've made uh, currently because it's uh, it's so uh, ubiquitous this, that you that you could 
that you could really uh, 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 find find it. Yes, uh, you you can you can uh, you can recognize it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, if you if you're familiar with the term maverick as as a missile, and you yes. see in a military game, oh, this is a maverick, but right. why is it called this instead? Uh, there's no reason for it. I think they just, I think they might have gone overzealous in translation. Right. <laughs> they, they need exactly. to translate all the terms. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, even proper names, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> so so do we know are there any resources that we know of for indie devs who maybe like if you're a solo dev and you know nothing about localization do we do we know of any resources that they can use um that's a tough call yeah because like what do you do if you're a solo dev and you have one language and you, I mean, it's it's easy enough to get something to translate your text, but what about localization? Like, what do you do then? Do you just understand that this is a solo dev and they can only do so much? You know? I, 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 it's uh, basically what I told uh, in in the chat earlier to to uh, one of our devs, and in my opinion, instead of doing a, a bad translation and a bad localization. Just leave it in English. So oh, really? It depends on the game. My, though, that would sure. be my advice. Yeah, it depends on it depends on the market that you want to translate for, and it also depends on who's doing your translation. For example, uh, there are a lot of indie devs that will will have volunteers do a script translation. If it's just a text, if there's no uh, spoken dialogue to deal with, then you don't have to hire new voice actors or any voice actors for that matter. You're just translating the text. Then that's a little bit easier because you can have a native speaker uh, doing that translation, and they might do that as um, uh, on a on a smaller scale uh, basis where you're not having to hire a pro because you shouldn't do any localization work for free. But you also should expect realistically that if someone is going to volunteer to help you, that that you're not going to get the highest quality. So it's kind of a mix. Uh, there are some there are some games where the translation is done as a mod, and then you apply the mod to the game to translate all of the text in game. Oh, that's a neat idea. I've seen that done. That's a neat I have idea. seen that done. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, ha I have seen some games where, um, like, they came out in in one language and then they were never translated. So users like modded English in. Yeah, I have seen. That. Yeah, yes, yeah. It takes a lot of effort. Oh yeah, I can't imagine. Agreed. I can't imagine how much work that takes. You you really got to love a game to uh, to uh, to want to uh, spend that much time doing that. Um, how I've dealt with that kind of thing, at least in writing, is you know you pick people to help you out after you're done with the initial product to vary greatly in ages and cultures and you know countries entirely. So as a result, you know one of my beta readers is American and older older than seventy years old. Uh, the editor is a very good millennial uh, and uh, another editor uh, English is 
is their first language, but they also speak fluent Arabic and they live in the United Arab Emirates. And so it's like, Try and culturate, cult, try and expand your friends from all over the world who can help you out. And granted, you won't have the best, uh, the best translation. And but you know, it's a start. Yeah, that's true. Well, we should start wrapping up. It's almost an hour, but we're going to wrap up with an. I don't know if it's an anecdote, but you guys had something to say about Mel Brooks. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, David, um, uh, you start us off. Yeah, um, okay. Finish. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. So, um, when I watched um, Spaceballs here in Sweden, it was not called Spaceballs, which was uh, kind of weird because it was called uh, Springtime for Space instead. I'm, I'm directly translating it. Wait because a minute. We're going to go for a reference. Yeah. Yeah, just, when, just, when, just roll okay, with it, Brian. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, then I figured out that most of those uh, Mel Brooks movies always began with springtime for X or whatever. And I never made the, the connection because, yeah, I, I guess I'm too young to have seen the earliest Mel Brooks movies. Uh, so I was uh, talking with Spass and Luke here uh, some week ago here, and uh, I think Spass cracked the code. So take me away, yeah. Spass. Yeah, so when we were having this discussion, we, we realized, well, okay, springtime, why springtime? Springtime for this, springtime for Robin Hood, or springtime for space. And then Luke brought up the movie, The Producers. Yeah, The Producers, yeah. yeah also yeah. Mel Brooks, yeah. Springtime for Hitler. And then I, yeah. and then, and, and then I said springtime for Hitler. The Producers, the Swedish title, is also springtime for Hitler. And that's Wait when it cracked the code. Springtime is the is the defining trait. So the producers was called Springtime for Hitler in Sweden. So all the other movies, if they were translated after that, used Springtime for Space for Spaceball, Springtime for Robin Hood for Robin what? Hood Men in Tights. Yes. And using that naming scheme, that they... using that naming scheme, that's how they localized the, the titles. So Springtime for Frankenstein? Springtime? Yes. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> it actually for makes sheriff, sense. Whatever. If, yeah, but it, it's springtime for sheriff for for Blazing Saddles. Oh, for my. So oh, for, using that, <laughs> using that, you know, it's in the same in the same uh, franchise under Mel Brooks. Oh, the Mel Brooks cinematic universe. Sense. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> but it makes sense if you. That's how I figured it out. Was well, okay. What what's the the connection here wow it's the producers if the producers was the one that they actually translated into swedish first and everything else after that uses the same naming scheme makes perfect sense it's it's like darmok in reverse <laughs> okay darmok in reverse <laughs> so now i want to now i want to know what happens to the song blazing saddles well that i couldn't tell you i i <laughs> I, I don't know if they translated that Great song. <laughs> wait, wait, David, you're going to share the Swedish poster for. Yeah, what that's the, the Swedish what? poster for his baseball. So uh, over here. Oh. And I think um, I, I, if I were to translate the, um, the words at the top there, it's re it's the reference to Spaceball One transforming into the maid with the vacuum cleaner because it 
goes to suck. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that scene, right? Of course. Of course. We do. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, springtime for Sheriff isn't quite the same it thing. It doesn't really hit. It doesn't hold the same. It doesn't hit. No, but, but that's. Uh, no. I, I don't mean, think it, it makes sense in the whole oeuvre, as you would. It makes sense to, to keep it, you know, in the same. I would love it if there was an actual Mel Brooks cinematic universe. I would love. <laughs> I would love that. Can you imagine the crossovers? It, it, it's probably it's probably contained within history of the world. <laughs> I don't know. When someone says Blazing Saddles, the first thing I see is Cleavon Little, and he's in his Gucci saddle, and he's riding across the open <laughs> plain, and there is Count Basie playing April and Barris. Oh, God. <laughs> Blazing oh, Saddles. Such a great scene. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode. Yes, look, that oh, was, uh, good. Yes, look, that was uh, that was indeed Tim Russ uh, uttering the "We ain't found shit" line. In yeah, baseball. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's totally Tim Russ. I love it. So, folks, that's gonna do it for today. Uh, next week on the show, we're gonna. Uh, you saw a stream uh, Starshift Origins uh, yesterday and a couple weeks ago. We had a lot of fun with it, so we invited the developer on to talk about this burgeoning series. Uh, because that's just the first game in, in their three games planned so far. Who knows how many more? Um, so we're going to talk to them next week about uh, the Starshift series, uh, the Starshift Cinematic Universe. <laughs> I'm just going to start adding Cinematic Universe to everything. Um, and then uh, tomorrow, I don't know what I'm going to play tomorrow because the game that I have slated the, the game that's next on the list, I'm not going to say what it is. I'm not that excited about it right now. So I might play that. I might play something else. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, maybe a plan B? Yeah, maybe I'll do a plan B. I don't know. All right. But that's going to do it for this episode, folks. Uh, thank you, everyone in the chat. It was a great chat today. Thank you. Everyone. Oh, my God. Crossover between Mel Brooks and Benny Hill. That's how. Uh, maybe. No, that'll never happen. Um <laughs> Mel, Mel Brooks is so much smarter than Benny Hill. Let's let's be honest. Um, yeah. <laughs> in in terms of the humor, of the, in terms of the humor, I don't know about the individuals, but in terms of the humor, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll see you next time, folks. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us. Be safe. Take care of each other. Please get vaccinated if you haven't already. And thank you as always to our patrons. Sorry, I'm losing it here. <laughs> Have a good one, y'all. Bye-bye.